mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 20. We're going to be beginning in verse 1. Now, just by way of remembrance, review, when we closed last week, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had come and taken the body of Jesus down off the cross. They made a mixture of myrrh and aloes, uh, about 100 pounds which they say that that gives you the recipe of how much the body probably weighed. They'd use about uh, half the body weight to wrap it, and they wrapped him in cloths, and then they put him in a borrowed tomb, a tomb that Joseph of Arimathea owned, and it was in a garden. And I, and I just like the typology that comes with that. He was born in a virgin womb, He's laid in a virgin tomb. When he was born, he was wrapped in swaddling cloths. He was wrapped as a, the greatest gift ever given to us. Uh, there's no greater gift that you can unwrap. And then when he was buried in this virgin tomb, so to speak, uh, he was wrapped again and given to us. And then he's in a garden where all life begins is where life is going to begin again for us at this same tomb that's in this garden. And so we need to come to that garden and seek some things. And that's what we're going to do this morning as we turn to chapter 20 and verse 1. And we see uh, that it says, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first and he stooping down and looking in saw the linen cloths lying there yet he did not go in then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths but folded together in a place by itself the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. 
But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher or master. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this text. And we just ask, Lord, that you'd help us understand resurrection. You'd help us understand what's going on in the text and open our hearts to receive that and to go and tell others. We give you praise this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, 20 verse 1. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, again, I would encourage you, read the other Gospels. We have four testimonies. There's a lot of other facts. This is not one of the synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they, they are written at the same time period to different audiences, but they give almost a lot of the same details. John wrote some 35 years later, and he's writing for a specific purpose. He wants us to see specific things. He wants us to believe that Jesus is Lord and not to believe a bunch of the stuff that people have made up in the interment of, the, uh, of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And do you think, after 35 years, think about how much the devil has in, influenced the church then, and then now think of 2,000 years, and think of how much the devil has used man to change the gospel. And we're in a time period of apostasy, the great falling away from the faith. That's why we always want to return back to the Word of God, not to what a church is doing. Not to what a man is doing, but what did Jesus do? Okay, and we're, and we're meeting here today. The church now meets on the first day of the week because Jesus rose from the grave on the first day of the week. It's the first day. That's the only reason. But literally every day is church because church is the ecclesia. It's the called out ones. It's you and me. So every day is church. It just so happens that we meet culturally on Sunday to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that we can go out and know what to do. We can go out and know how to live, to know what to talk about, where to look at, and that our, our redemption draweth nigh, so we should be looking up. That's why we meet. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we read our Bible. It's not so we can feel good. Listen, many times you might not feel good about your life, but you have an identity in Christ. 
And that's why it's so important to remember that. See, if we just looked at last week's message and went, wow, I've, I've told you the story of the, the, the rabbi lady that was at the first showing of the Passion of Christ. I did not like the movie. It was a Catholic rendition of the stages of the cross, which is not biblical. But we watched the very first showing of it. I don't know what that's been, what, 18 years ago, 20 years ago? When did Mel Gibson's movie come out, The Passion of the Christ? And everybody said it's going to change the world. Nothing changes the world except for the Spirit of God getting a hold of a person that believes in God, and then it begins to change you from the inside out. But we watched that movie for two hours, and then they, open, they turn the lights on, they open for discussion, and they start to talk about it, and this lady stands up and says, I just watched a man be beaten for two hours, and I don't know why. And then he died, and he was put in. I mean, and this would be a pitiful story if that was the end of it all. If he just was beaten and hung on a cross and died, and then we just go, okay, let's go home, pack it up, let's go. We just watched that. We just watched the beating. We just watched him die. What was that all about? I don't know. Maybe he was mean to Rome. Think about it, how pitiful it would be. But he didn't stay in the grave. That's why we're looking on the first day of the week. Three days later, he got up. He got up out of the grave, and his grave is empty. And yet we're going to see people coming to that grave, and they're going to go, what's going on? Watch what happens. What's going on? Why is he? And they're weeping and crying. Exactly what the devil would want us to do. Weep and cry at the grave of Jesus the Christ who was born to die and raise again. The Bible told us it was going to happen. This is the purpose he came. Weeping and crying and being a victim and saying, where's his body at? What's going on? That's exactly what the devil would love us to do. But we are the body. Where are we looking over here in dead men's graveyards for when we're the body? Look at one another. We're the body of Christ. It's not missing. We just don't understand who we are and what he's done and that he's risen again so that you and I can come out of that tomb. Remember, I'm, re I'm just talking off the cuff here. We'll get to the text in a minute. But the stone wasn't rolled away so he could get out. The stone was rolled away so you and I could see in and then go out and live differently because he has risen. He's resurrected from the dead. He's defeated the only enemy against us, which was death. He defeated death. The wages of sin is death. He paid for our sin on the cross, remember? Stabbed in his side. Blood and water comes out. And anybody that sees that death and believes in his death becomes the bride of Christ. The woman is born out of the side, just like with Adam. And then they put him in a grave. And when it's empty, he's risen again. That's the evidence. That's the evidence that he was the Mashiach of God, that he was the Messiah, that God accepted his payment for our sins. And now we can have newness of life. We can walk in the newness of life. We can live differently now. We don't have to go on living the way we always lived listening to the lies of the devil. So there's always going to be evidence. He's the first fruit from the grave that he's life himself. And then if you have new life, there's going to be evidence by how you live afterwards. 
but it's amazing. Just like remember when we covered Lazarus and Lazarus had died. Lazarus had been dead four days. Lazarus was in the tomb. Lazarus was wrapped up the same way. But remember what happened with Lazarus. See, Lazarus didn't resurrect from the dead, not the way Jesus did. Jesus got up with the same body. He still got that body. He, we're going to see it in heaven. We're going to see the wounds in his hand. The only man-made thing in heaven is going to be the wounds on his body that we made because of our sin. Lazarus got up, remember, and Jesus said to him, come forth. They rolled the stone away. He come forth. He still got his grave clothes on. And then he, they, he told them to unwrap him. And that's what the body life is about. That's what you and I are doing. We're unwrapping people. We're unwrapping the grave clothes. But only way we can do that is by looking into an empty tomb and seeing that he has resurrected. That every sermon in the book of Acts, when you look at the book of Acts, and I don't talk about the book of Acts unless I say it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. That's the original title. So you have to remember what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit is washing and cleansing us. The Holy Spirit is unwrapping the grave clothes because we were born dead because of Adam. And so now we come out of the tomb and unwrap the grave clothes and find out what the truth is and stop listening to lies. And we let other people help us. Not me. Think about it. Not me. That's why people are still looking for the body of Christ. The grave's empty. But we live in a way where we don't present the body to people because of our love for one another. He said this over in, what, John 13? They'll know us by our love for one another. See, when we're loving one another, we're serving, we're laying our lives down, we are living because Christ is alive, then they see the body of Christ. And we can be all together a perfect representation of the body of Christ that goes out to a dead and dying world and they can hear about the gospel. But when they see us as life that just continues on, just keeps going, nothing changes except I go to church now instead of hanging out at the bar. I go to church now instead of hanging out at the you fill in the blank. I go to church now and I read my Bible maybe if, if I feel like it. Listen, if you meet Jesus Christ, your life changes. It's just the simpl simplicity of the Bible. If you truly meet Jesus Christ, if you look into this tomb and you see that there's no bones in there, because if you go to any other grave, there's bones in it. But why would we be hanging out in a graveyard when we're supposed to be telling people about Jesus? Why hang out weeping in a graveyard? He already instructed them to meet me in Galilee. He told them where he was going to be. He told them he was going to raise. Even in the text, it says they do not yet know the text. So on the first day of the week, that's why we're meeting, to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. Listen to me. That's, that's what's going on here. We're not coming in here so, oh, I've got all this baggage and I've got all these problems and I've got all these things and I just need you to minister to me. We're coming here to learn how to minister to others. The Holy Spirit in us knows how to minister, but we have to die and receive the gifting that he's given us and learn to help unwrap. And when you give yourself away, when you give yourself to others and say, you know what, I got this in my life, but I'm going to give myself to help others. God can take care of you perfectly. But as long as your eyes stay fixed on yourself, 
nothing's going to happen in your life. Because you're going to be weeping at a tomb and say, I know Jesus, but I, and, and just help me, Lord. Oh, but, but you won't help yourself by surrendering. You continue to have the veil over your eyes and the grave clothes on, but you won't let anybody help you in your pride. And the only way they're going to help you is when you lay down your life and begin to serve them and believe Jesus. So it's the first day of the week. Mary. Mary, of course, means their rebellion. Their rebellion comes to Magdalene. Mary Magdalene uh, is, means she's from Magdalia, but it literally means a tower. Magdalia means a tower. So their rebellion is a tower. What tower? The Tower of Babel, where we're building our own houses, building our own towers, building our own religious systems, and resisting the Word of God and the work of God that was finished here. And here's the evidence as we look at the tomb. It's empty. He defeated death. He paid for our sin on the cross, and he defeated death. We see he rose again, that God raised him from the dead and accepted the payment completely. And so, but we continue to weep. Listen, there's nothing to weep about. Joy comes in the morning. This is the morning. You were dead. You were going to hell. And now you believe in Jesus. What is there to weep about? The grace of God has given you salvation. Go tell somebody. Well, I've got this going on and that going on, and I'm still doing that, and I haven't changed this. Yeah, the devil wants you to focus on that, but it's been paid for. Tetelestai, paid in full. Your life has been paid for. It's not your own. Your life has been bought by the precious blood of Jesus, and now he lives through you. He lives in you. It's, it's as many as are led by the Spirit of God. These are the children of God. So the Spirit comes in and you have a new operating system. The, the heart of stone has been rolled away and you have a heart of flesh where God can put His Word into you and change you. But you have to stop living like the old man. You have to stop living the old life and deny self and take up your cross daily and follow Him. Because if you're still focused on you wanting to be happy, you wanting to do this, and I've got these plans. And you know, but I went to school and they taught me the American dream. And they taught me that when I grow up, I can be anything I want. That's from the pit of hell. From the pit of hell. You in your pride want to be anything you want. You in your pride want to do anything you want. But God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But it's his plan, not your plan. It's his life, not your life. If you believe in Jesus, it's no longer the American dream. It's no longer physical. We don't regard anything as flesh and blood anymore. It's all a spiritual life now. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God to do the will of God. And if you're not doing the will of God, then you have to question, is there any evidence? Is there any fruit? Is there anything that proves that I'm a Christian? Look at Matthew 7. Not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but those who do the will of my Father in heaven. What proof? Jesus said, behold, it is written in the volume of the book, I have come to do thy will, O God. He came and he did it. He knew what he was called for, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He walked straight to the cross. 
and let them kill him when he had all the power of the universe coursing through him. So that surrender to the will of the Father is where the fruit comes from. I mean, just think about this for a minute, and I'm way ahead of myself. I'm not even in the text. I'm just talking because this is so amazing. Think about this. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, he can bear no fruit. You see, if he goes into the ground, this is where we're at, the grave. He went into the ground, and then the shell opens up. You ever watch that? My wife used to plant stuff and put it in the window and say, I'm just getting this ready for, for summertime. And, and you'd see that little bitty sprout come out. The shell would bust open. The door would open on it. And fruit would start to come out. And that's what's going on here at the grave. The, the, the stone is rolled away so the fruit can come out. Life walked out. And he wants us to see life. And he wants us to see that death is defeated. And he wants us to grow and bear fruit. But if we stay weeping instead of going, if we stay weeping instead of growing, if we stay crying and saying, oh, woe is me, look at my life, I wanted this to happen, then we just wilt away because we're not attached to a vine that's giving life. We're attached to death still. We're still looking in the grave. We're still tomb dwellers. We're still in the pit instead of enjoying the newness of life and going out and sharing it. Own it unwrap the greatest gift ever given and own it and go tell somebody about it well i'm not capable of talking to people nobody is on their own but if you're the body of christ you have the spirit of god if you're a child of god you have the spirit of god if you're a child of god you have all the power of the universe in you and it's all available to do what he called you to do not what you want to do See, it's really, it's a lot more comfortable just to stay at home and just to mind my own business and do what I want to do. It's a lot more comfortable just to trust in my credit card, my bank account, my car. It's a lot more comfortable to trust in all the stuff I can see, but it's not a life of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you can see it, if you can understand it, look at the churches today. How are they building? They're building on what they see. Well, the church over there is having some success. Let's do what they're doing. Everybody wants to have little complexes now. Everybody wants to have these little complexes where all their ministry is under one roof and they're, and they're feeding the poor and they're clothing the poor and they're teaching the poor. But they're all doing it by businesses and budgets and buildings. And they stir up some people to give some money and they start doing that. And they do exactly what the Pharisees and Sadducees did. They made them twice the sons of hell than they ever was because they didn't teach them. To live according to the Spirit of God and the Word of God and to be washed and cleansed and go out and tell somebody. It's not about a building. It's about a person, a house, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It's about living stones. He's chipping away at and he fits us all together to build a holy house, his body. And yet we're out. Well, maybe tomorrow I'll read my Bible. Maybe tomorrow I'll go to church. Maybe tomorrow I'll run and investigate what's going on. Notice what their rebellion did, this tower of rebellion. She comes weeping. Great. I mean, I, I, I get it. Seven demons were cast out of Mary Magdalene. I am not taking anything away from her. Listen, seven demons. And where much is, much is given, much is required. But she doesn't even look in the tomb. 
She's so anxious and so worried and she came to finish dealing with a dead body. We're not dead. We're alive. We're not here to deal with dead bodies. We're here to know how to come alive. She doesn't even look in the tomb. She doesn't even stop and pray. She doesn't even say what's going on because her heart is set on Jesus is dead and this is all over. He came to bring life. He didn't come to bring weeping and tears. I'm sorry. And I see a lot of preachers crying in the pulpit now. It's become the new thing to do. The Spirit of God comes upon them and they weep in the pulpit. Christ is not weeping. Christ has defeated death. Christ wants us to go out in power and in strength and tell people the truth that He's coming back real soon to judge the living and the dead. And the dead are still weeping over the tomb. But those that are alive are going out and telling people about the resurrection. Every sermon, every time they talked about the gospel in the book of Acts, I started to tell you, they talked about the resurrection. Why? Because it's evidence. There's no evidence unless there's fruit. Unless you know that that door was open. That door. Jesus is that door. Jesus is that stone that was rolled away. And there's no evidence unless there begins to be fruit in your life. If we, listen to me. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm saying work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Put yourself on trial because you're on trial. Is there fruit happening in your life? How long have we been Christians and there's no fruit? That means we're not really Christians. Sorry. Stop weeping and get up and start doing. Faith without works, James says, is dead faith. It's not real faith. It's, death, it's dead faith. It's still crying at the tomb's door. Going, where's the body? Where have you laid him? The Old Testament told us. The New Testament told us. Jesus told them, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. They're going to crucify me. But on the third day, I'm going to rise. Wait for me in, in Galilee. Wait for me in the heathen circle. Wait for me where I'm going to send you at. It gets worse, actually. Peter's going to go fishing in the next chapter. Or at the end of this chapter, Peter says, I'm going fishing. He goes back to the world. He backslides because he doesn't understand. Do you understand your identity? Or are you still listening to a tower of rebellion? Are you still hanging on to self and weeping over the bad instead of understanding that Jesus has risen? That he has resurrected from the dead just like he said because the grave couldn't hold him. Because God said, I will not allow his body to see corruption. He's not in the grave decaying. Every other grave you go to has got some dead bones in it. Not Jesus's. Got some dead Christians in it sometimes. And they're searching around trying to figure out what's going on, looking at the dead instead of looking at life, instead of looking up where life is at, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. He never said bad things wouldn't happen to you. He never said that it wouldn't be painful. He never said people wouldn't die. He never said that. But what did he say? What did he say? The church doesn't know. I'm not being mean. I'm not being mean. 
I was thinking about it. If, you know what? If I said there, there's a check inside your Bible right now to pay your rent and your and your and or your mortgage or your bills for the next month, you'd search all through there looking for it. But somebody paid for your eternal soul, which is most important, eternity. It's not next week. It's not the temporal. It's the spiritual life. And we won't even get in here and look and find out, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? Why would you do that? What's that all about? Mary Magdalene. Amazing. Seven demons casted out of her. This is what's amazing. Listen, Mary is there early in the morning trying to get the dead body of Jesus. That's some works. What do you do early in the morning? Do you meet with Jesus with the first fruits of your day? Do you sit down and spend time with him and give him the, your day completely? Very important thing to do. But don't look in a grave like he's in there dead and I'm looking for his body because I'm weeping. He's trying to give you life and that more abundantly. He wants you to see that he came out. He wants you to see that he's alive. He is life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So she sees the stone has been taken away from the tomb. You know, and, and if you know the word of God, then she should have said, wow, he did rise again. Now listen, I'm going to be, I'm going to be nice in this because you can't learn nothing unless God reveals it to you. It has to be uncovered revelation knowledge as you spend time with God. And the more you spend time with him, the more he uncovers it, the more he reveals it, because when you draw near to God, he draws near to you. Now, this isn't meaning that, oh, I'm just going to stay home 24-7 and read my Bible and keep drawing near to God. No, you have to do the natural while he does the supernatural, but you should put him first in everything that you do. Right here, he's the first fruits from the grave so that we know now that we have a promise that we one day will resurrect with him. If we live for him and stay attached to him now and not living in death. But these are things that we learn as we get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. As we sit down and listen. As we say, Lord, what's going on? But we have to get up and start doing it. Listen, Mary's going to be fine. Mary Magdalene's going to be great. She's up doing it. She's up doing the natural and she's going to find out the supernatural. She's going to be the first one to speak to Jesus after he resurrects because she was up doing the natural. Even though she didn't understand, she was searching. She was drawing near. She was trying to do what was natural to be done, and God reveals the supernatural to her. What are you trying to find out? What are you doing? Now notice, she doesn't look in. See, she should have looked in. But we're not going to beat her up over it. Think about it. The stones rolled away, and she just automatically concludes somebody stole the body. Because she doesn't understand the gospel. She doesn't understand that he's supposed to be 
resurrected. So verse 2 says, Then she ran. And it's the same word used for us running our course. We have a race to run and we're supposed to run our course. And she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, Listen, this is what she concluded because she hasn't talked to God. She doesn't know the truth. She hasn't met him. It's not uncovered. Listen, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now listen, does she know any of that really to be true? I'm just going to talk to you. She never looked in. She doesn't know whether he's in the tomb or not. She never even investigated. She just concluded on her own because of what she's seen. You ever go into a room and see stuff and think they're talking about you or whatever's going on, and you just conclude without including God? Be careful counseling yourself. Be careful getting counseling from people that don't know the Word of God. Always include God. Every time you see these guys gathering together and they're going to kill Christ, they were taking counsel among themselves and they left God's Spirit out. They left Jesus out. They left God out of the entire equation and they came up with the wrong solution because they were in their rebellion and they were building a tower of their own. They were building their own little religious temples and their own little cities, and they were not doing the will of the Father. So she runs, and it's pretty amazing. She comes to, we see Simon Peter first, and, and Simon is Simeon, and it means heard or, or hearkening, one that's listening. And Peter means, yes, little rock or stone. Listen, little rock or stone. What were we talking about? We were talking about the stone that was rolled away and the fruit that comes from listening to God. You become part of that body, that stone, the living stones. I was reading this last week and I haven't figured it out yet and maybe we'll have a sermon sometime about it, but I realized that in the Tower of Babel, which is Mary Magdalene, the Tower of Rebellion, they made bricks you can go back and read it. They made their own bricks instead of using stone. But everywhere you look in the Bible, God says, build an altar. Don't put any tools on it. Just use natural stones. And the only tool that you can put on your stone is the Holy Spirit using the Word of God to chip away and fit you into the body where you're supposed to be. So you can't make up your own gift and you can't go, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. You have to say, Lord, what are my gifts? What are my talents? What are my abilities? I've been listening to the world and they told me I could be anything I want to be. I've been listening to thus and thus and it says I can do this. And, and then you begin doing stuff that you're not even built for. You weren't designed for. You weren't anointed to do. And you go, why is my life still blown? I'm still looking here. I'm still looking there. Are you looking up? Are you looking up to the throne room where Jesus is seated praying for you, making intercession for you? And he's the one that makes you a little stone. He's the one that's chipping away and fitting you together. He's the one that wants you to hear his voice and see him and follow him and be attached to the vine that's growing out of that tomb, that sepulcher, King James. I don't use the word because I don't even know what a sepulcher is because we don't use them words anymore. But be careful with that because we're translating the Bible into modern day language and just walking away from the Holy Spirit. 
A sepulcher actually by definition is any monument or memorial that you would place to remember someone who has died. That's by definition. Same as a tomb, same as a grave. If you go to the graveyard, there, there might be bones in the graveyard, but the person's not there anymore. Their spirit has risen. Their spirit has left their physical body. They're not there. But you can go there and look at the memorial. You can remember them. And it's the same thing we do with communion. We do it in remembrance. The word remembrance means a memorial to know that Jesus died and rose again, that the tomb is empty, and that we're married to him now, betrothed to him, and we're supposed to be listening to him and following him and doing what he did coming out of the grave. Not living in a grave, not weeping over the bad things. That's why the Bible says we don't grieve as the world grieves. We know that this is not the end of it all. Spiritual truths should change the way we do things and the way we live and the way we pursue life. So she ran and she found, heard, or hearkening, uh, someone who heard and is hearkening, and it's Peter, he's a stone, and the other disciple, I love this, because you gotta, you got to get this, the other disciple is John, right? But he never mentions his name, but he's always talking about himself. It's very important. John or Jonathan means God's gracious gift. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit that brings that grace upon you, and the Holy Spirit doesn't want any attention. You see it in the Old Testament. You see it everywhere. The Holy Spirit doesn't want the attention. The Holy Spirit's always going to point back to Jesus and what Jesus has done for us and died and rose again. And then Jesus always points back to what? The Father who made the plan and sent him and anointed him. And in fact, one day he's going to lay it all back down at the Father's feet. Because all he's doing is coming down and giving you an opportunity, me an opportunity to have the same Father and the same God. He's going to say that in this text. How's that happen, Greg? Through marriage. We marry back into the kingdom of God, into the family of God. We marry back into the lineage by listening and obeying and believing. We come back through marriage. What an amazing thing. No wonder the devil is trying to destroy marriage. So she ran. She was in a hurry. Are you in a hurry? Are you making the most of the time? Paul says over in chapter 4 of Ephesians, Arise from the dead, awake from your sleep, and Christ will give you life. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil, finding out what the will of the Lord is. And do not be filled with wine, which is dissipation. Remember, you can, it's great. I used to be really strong when I drink a bottle of Jack Daniels. I was a tough guy. But the next morning, I was just a hangover guy. But with the Holy Spirit, you can continue to grow. It doesn't dissipate. It doesn't grow, go away. It grows you up and grows you up and grows you up. And the more you know and the more you surrender and the more you listen, the stronger you become when adversity comes. When you're standing in the middle of it, everybody else is losing it and panicking, and you're saying, wait a minute, the Lord's already told us. All we need to do is go to Galilee and wait. He's coming. It's fine. Be still and know that I am God. That's all he's saying to us. 
So be always be being filled with the Holy Spirit of promise, not with wine which dissipates fake power that the world gives you, that today you're the CEO, but tomorrow you're fired because the, 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 the dividends weren't paid properly for somebody and they lost a bunch of money, so now, boom, you're gone. From hero to zero in one night because the stock market fell. Real power comes from surrendering Real power comes from the Spirit of God because of the truth of God and the Word of God. And you can stand no matter what. Deutimus, to be a witness for God. So the other disciple is John, God's gracious gift. And he says, whom Jesus loved. Now you would think when you've seen that, that would be agape love. And I've heard sermons that make it sound like that, but this is really phileo. The city of brotherly love. It's, it's, it's a brotherly love where he is fond of him. He's a friend. So important to know that you're a friend of God. See, because he tells his friends the secret things. It's so important to know you're a friend of God. He tells everything you need to know if you sit down with him and have a conversation with him. Be intimate with him. Want to hear his voice. Want to know what he's doing. Want to understand the privilege of being involved in his work and helping others unwrap their grave clothes. So it's uh, the city of Brotherly where we get Philadelphia from. Um, it actually, if I could read my notes, a, it means to kiss as a mark of tenderness. Think about that long and hard because Jesus was just betrayed with a false kiss by Judas. But this is where John knows that Jesus loves him. It means to delight in. Proverbs 8.31 tells us that God or Jesus, the wisdom of God, was always delighted in the sons of men. His delight was always in us. It's in 8.31. I'm not going to go there. There's so much material and so much content. When you're looking at the greatest event that ever happened. Listen, I know the birth of Jesus was amazing. The virgin birth. Amazing. The death of Jesus on the cross, paying for the sins of the world. Wow, how can you top that? Resurrection, he defeated death. The greatest thing that ever happened was there was proof, there was first fruit, there was evidence. We can see it. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. No, and that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto salvation, and with the mouth confession is made. Excuse me. With the heart uh, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you're righteous because you believe that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. But if you are righteous and you're living right, you're going to go out and confess that with your mouth as a living stone. You're going to tell others that salvation is going to produce evidence. True salvation is always going to have evidence. If not, it's dead faith. So the other disciple is John. Do you know that God loves you? Everybody says, God loves me. I'm okay. I can do anything I want. No, God loved you so you could be set free to follow him. Not to do whatever you want, but he's not going to force it on you. He's not going to force you because he could have just created people to, to serve him. He wants you to choose because you see this love to follow him. 
Now watch the difference between what happened. Even though we don't have any attention on John, we know his name is John now. We know it's the author of this book who's not drawing attention to himself. Watch what happens. She tells them that they've taken the body away. She doesn't know that. We do not know where they have laid him. And of course, remember laid, that's what they did in 1942. They laid him in a tomb. That means where they have buried him. What'd they do with the dead body? Verse 3, Peter therefore went out. Remember how impetuous is. He's quick to move. He's on the roll. Peter went out and the other disciple, John goes, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. Now I love that. Think about that for a minute. They both ran together. Because see, their hearts are together. Why? Because God sent them out in twos. He taught them to go out in twos. They've been learning. They're together in twos. But the devil wants to isolate us and wants to separate us and then decimate us. And we have people that won't be part of what God is saying. And that's why you have to train your heart today so that you'll be ready for tomorrow. If you're training your heart today and you hit the wrong hammer, the wrong nail with the hammer tomorrow, you won't react the wrong way. They're together. They run together. Where were they at? They're hiding together. See, because in this culture, if you took the leader and you killed him, the men would hide. That's why the women are out there freely. They wouldn't kill the women. They killed the men. They didn't want the men to continue with that movement. So they would kill all the other men so that another leader don't rise up. So they're hiding. Now they're actually risking their lives and they're going, what? The body's not there. They don't understand what's going on, but they get up and they run and they're running together. Who are you accountable to? Are you being accountable to anybody? Are you a lone wolf where you're not doing anything? Do you get mad when I say to you, are you reading your Bible? Do you get mad when somebody asks you, are you reading your Bible? It's because you don't want to be held accountable. You want to do your own thing. You're still living in the tomb and you're going to weep about what happens next week because you're not being prepared for it. Sorry, just telling the truth. So they run together. And then check this out because this can be a problem too. Think about it because there's competition and you've been taught in the American dream that all of us are competing. You've been taught you're supposed to compete. And they, who, who wins, who gets all the toys wins. So the only thing you can think about when you're trained in a world that everything's on competition, I'm not talking about giving everybody a trophy. That's not what I'm talking about. That's the opposite side too. But notice, the young guy is going to outrun the older guy. But don't forget to notice that there's, that there's also respect when they get to the tomb. The young guy doesn't run in there. He waits for the old guy. That's what's going on here. John's the youngest and Peter's the head. Jesus told him he was the head. Jesus appointed him. Listen to me. It's very important to understand authority because everything about salvation is about authority. They stopped in the garden listening to the authority of God's word. They began to listen to the devil. They began to build a tower of rebellion against God. The question is, are you a brick in, his, in the tower of rebellion? Or are you a stone in the kingdom of God? Are you a living stone now or a dead brick? 
And I don't care. I mean, when you go through the Bible, you see they made bricks. And then you see when they were in captivity and God put them down in Egypt, they were making brick. And then they're in bondage, being forced to do it. And then they took their straw from them. But they were still making brick. Whether you're being made to do it or you're doing it voluntarily, you were still in bondage. But God has set us free. And that's why he sent Moses was to set them free in the fullness of time. And it becomes a type of Christ. One drawed out, Moses. Who's with him? His brother Aaron, light bearer. He's the high priest. Who else is with him? Sister Miriam, which means rebellion. That's where Maria comes from or Mary comes from. Rebellion. The only reason God comes is because of our rebellion. The only thing he's here to deal with is our rebellion. Why? Because he's got to defeat the works of the devil. Death. That started in the garden. That's the only reason he's here. Doesn't change him, doesn't help him, but now he gets to share his love with his bride. Those that say, I believe that you're Lord and that God raised you from the dead. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the evidence. I see your love. I know the tomb is empty and now I'm not going to live in the grave. I'm going to follow you onward and upward and I'm going to go tell somebody. That's the fruit of the resurrection. Where are we at? I get carried away. I apologize for getting carried away, not for. Okay, here we go. They ran together. John outruns Peter, gets there first. Here comes the old dude with the big belly huffing and puffing. <laughs> Notice he doesn't stop though and go, why'd you run up in front of me? Run in your own lane. Run where God calls you to run. Listen, no, here's what, here's what, if John is the gracious gift of God and it's about the grace of God, listen, listen, grace will always go before you and wait at the door for you to find it. Listen, grace always goes before you. You know, it's not like you showed up and you're all alone and look what I found. Grace was already there waiting on you to catch up, Peter, because you're a stone and you heard and you're hearkening and you're searching. The question is, is are you outrunning grace? And grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Are you searching them out? Grace is waiting. Grace will always wait. Grace will never force its way in the door. Grace is never going to make you accept it. It's by faith. You're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Been wrapped up really good. Not of works. You're not making brick lest any man should boast. But we are his workmanship, his poema, created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. Are you walking in them? How are you living? How are you running? This word means, they ran, it means to walk swiftly. Quickly. But it's still a walk. It's a daily walk with God. You don't have to know everything to begin to live for God. How many jobs have you started and you didn't know anything about the job, but you were willing to learn? Why? Because it paid a paycheck. This is an eternal paycheck. You have to begin somewhere and you have to begin to listen and allow the Holy Spirit to make you a disciple, a learner, a pupil. So the grace of God outruns Peter. The grace of God gets there first. And look what. He's stooping down, bowing low. 
looking in, Saul, now this is the word blepo. There's, two, there's, there's, there's several different words being used here for seeth or saw or seeing. Blepo means discern. So John discerned what was going on. And we don't know how far, we don't know how much, but the grace of God certainly understands the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But does John, the young disciple, how much does he discern? I don't know. But he looking in and he saw the linen clothes lying there. Yet he did not go in. Now think about this for a minute. Mary didn't go in. And she didn't look in. John gets there. He doesn't go in, but he looked in. He at least looked into the truths of what was going on in the tomb. But he didn't go in. And then it says in verse 6, the one who heard the little stone, Peter, verse 6, number of man, then Simon Peter came, following, means to be in the way with. He was in the way of grace. He was following John and went into the tomb, the sepulcher, and he saw the linen clothes lying there. So he rushed right in. Like me sometimes, I rush in where angels fear to tread and there I am. Verse 7, what happened? And then he looks and sees the napkin, handkerchief, your Bible, napkin, King James, that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Now, I don't know for sure, but I've heard many times that this means I'm coming back. In the Jewish culture, if you folded your napkin up a certain way and you set it in a certain place, it means I'm coming back. Now, I've heard that, which, which is amazing because he is coming back. I don't need to understand the cultural significance of it to know Jesus is coming back because the Bible tells me he's coming back. Okay? The Bible already tells me he's coming back to take the chosen home. So if this is true that a Jewish person would see that and understand it, I don't think Peter understood it at all. So it's good to know that you read the Bible and you go, I don't understand it. Because you don't have to understand it to continue to believe that Jesus is coming back soon to take the chosen home. You don't have to understand everything that I'm saying from this pulpit or everything that you read or everything that everybody else understands to be part of the family. Think about it. When you were growing up and you were in the family, mom and dad were working or maybe just mom or maybe just dad, but they were paying the rent. They were buying the groceries. You didn't have to understand everything was going on to sit down and eat and to put on your shoes and go to school. You don't have to understand everything in the family of God to continue to be in the family of God. And even when the liar lies to you and said, now you've really blown it, you're kicked out of the family of God to say, wait a minute, nah, that's not true. God will never leave me nor forsake me. So I'm going to lean on the grace of God and stay right here and see what's going on. So anyway, handkerchief that had been around his head, all of this stuff had been on him. And what happened? It broke open and life come out of it. It's broken open and life has come out of it. And there it is lying there. The evidence of the resurrection uh, folded together in a place by itself. Verse 8, new beginning, right? Six is the number of man. Seven is the number of sanctification, looking at the evidence, investigating. Eight is the number of new beginning. Then the other disciple, the other learner, the other pupil who came to the tomb first John 
went in also, and he saw, and what happened with him? He believed. Pistio. He trusted his spiritual well-being into Christ is what that means. This is a new beginning. When you investigate, you come into, you begin to look at, and you investigate the parts of the tomb, the death, burial, and the resurrection, then you have a choice and you can believe. And that's exactly what happened with John. And it's by the grace of God, God's gracious gift, that we would be given to be able to believe. The question is, is what happens after you believe? Verse 9, For as yet they did not know, it's I do or I do, the scripture, the graphe, the, the, holy, the, the holy scripture, the Old Testament. No other scripture is written yet. So it has to be the Old Testament. That he must rise again from the dead. Notice this. They haven't, it hasn't been revealed to them yet. You do not learn. You're reading the Bible and you go, oh, I don't understand it. You can't learn it unless God reveals it. These guys were walking with Jesus for three years, listening to him, following him. They watched him open blind eyes, heal lame legs. They watched him do all the miracles. Then they seen him arrested and betrayed and spit on and mocked and nailed to a tree. And they ran and hid. They didn't understand. And even though he told them that he was going to die and raise again on the third day, wait for me, even though the Old Testament had prophesied that this would happen to the Mashiach of God, the Messiah of God, they still, it says in verse 9, listen to the testimony, for as yet they did not know, they didn't understand, they couldn't comprehend it, they couldn't see it until God opens your eyes, right? In verse 10, then the disciples went away again to their own homes, what? See, they're hiding. They don't understand. Their leader, their master, their teacher has been killed. And, and they're afraid that they're going to be killed. Because that's what happened in this culture. So they went away again to their own homes. Where do you go after you hear spiritual truth? Where do you go after you come to church on Sunday to be equipped? What do you do? Are you still caught up in your own home? So, see, we're way past here now. This is then, in the moment, the, the everything going on, and it's rushing in on them. But now we're 2,000 years later, and we understand the gospel, and we know the resurrection. They haven't comprehended it yet. We know that you have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus in order to be saved. All they were doing was going, wow, we were in the back of the line. They sent us home from school. They told us we couldn't be part of their little clique in Hebrew high. And so we went back to our own dads, and we went back to fishing. We went back to tax collecting. And here come this teacher that said, follow me. And we said, wow, somebody believes in us. Somebody loves us. I'm going to follow him. And now they killed him because he didn't agree with their little world. He didn't agree with their little system. Remind you of anything going on. It's always going on because they're always building their tower of rebellion and they're rebelling against God and it's death culture. They want to kill anybody who will listen and believe in Jesus. Even their religious system had told them in John 8, if you believe in him, you're kicked out of the synagogue. Think about it. You get kicked out of the church today if you believe in the word of God. They might call you a Jesus freak and say, that's not what we believe. Go to another church where you can find somebody that believes the way you believe. What? 
I'm just talking about what the Bible says. I'm not talking about what you believe. What you believe is probably a tower of rebellion. Building your own little system, making your own little brick. We repeat the same thing over. Instead of being converted and becoming like Christ, we just do the same thing that the Tower of Babel has been doing in the church. Comes in and takes over the church and the religious system and leads us and makes us twice the sons of hell. That's not a personal love relationship. So they went back to their own homes, Peter and John, those who heard in the grace of God, John. But what happened next? Here, this is amazing. Look what Mary does. Look what their rebellion does. What does your rebellion do? Mary, their rebellion. What did she do? She stood outside the tomb, the sepulcher, the memorial place, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. She finally looks in. Think about that. The grace of God, somebody who has heard, they went before, they've been in there, they come out, they just go home. And you've got to tie all the Gospels together to get more out of this, but I'm not going to because we're looking at one testimony so that we might believe. She finally looks in, in the midst of her tears, now, there's somebody that might teach this and say, well, in her contrition and in her believing, she began to cry about her life. She was crying because she thought Jesus was dead. She wasn't crying because of her sin. She didn't understand that Jesus just paid for her sin by the grace of God. Think about that. Because she already admitted we don't know where they laid him. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He paid for her sin. He rose again on the third day, fully paid for, fully forgiven, fully redeemed. In fact, the word in, in um, verse 2, just to back up a moment, taken away, when she's telling them they've taken away the body, it means to raise up. She's actually saying the truth, but she doesn't understand the spiritual significance. Because in Hebraism, Hebraism being in that language, when they would speak of this, this was the type of language they would speak when somebody took away their sin and paid for their sin. It's actually what it says when you look it up in the Strong's. Um, it's a Hebraism to bear our sin, to remove uh, and put it away, to take it away. That's what she's saying. They took away the sacrifice, and we don't know anything about it. We don't know where it's laid at. He became that sacrifice. That's pretty amazing to me. <clears throat> I wasn't going to bring it up, but I bring it up now. So now she's going to look in. She's going to stoop down. She's going to change what she's doing, even though she's still weeping. And then guess what happens? There's a couple messengers in there. They weren't there before. John was just there. Peter was just there. They didn't get to see him. But she didn't run off in her confusion, even though she's a tower of rebellion. Seven demons have been cast out, and she knows that she's heard the voice of God. She knows that she's been listening to God. And she came there weeping, and it's going to last for an evening, but in the morning comes joy. She looks in and saw, verse 12, two angels, messengers in white setting, one at the head, place of power, and the other at the feet or footstool where the body of Jesus had lain. 
Two different places in there, two messengers. I don't know if that means the law and the prophets. It could, the message of the law, the message of the prophets, and now you have the grace of God at the door if you will listen. It's been accomplished. It's been finished in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But she sees these two messengers. In verse 13, what do they say to her? What's the message of the gospel say to you? Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Listen, we're supposed to be rejoicing because he is risen. He's risen indeed. The resurrection, it's finished. It's paid for. And if we don't understand what the gospel is, the death, burial, and resurrection, then we sit and cry. But when we understand, we can rejoice and we can go forth and understand that we are ambassadors for Christ. As if Christ is pleading through us, be reconciled to God. We can go tell people about the resurrection. We can go tell people they've been redeemed. They're forgiven. That Jesus has paid for all the sin of the world. Past, present, and future. Fully satisfied with the Father by His blood, His perfect sacrifice. That's amazing. We shouldn't be crying about that. The only one crying about that's the devil. Because he knows his days are numbered. And those that are deceived by the devil. Crying about Jesus being raised again. So these messengers say to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Listen, are you still weeping in your life? Listen, I'm not trying to be weird robotic and you don't get to have emotions and feelings. But the truth is, is our mind, will, and emotion is messed up by sin. It's messed up by our life with Adam. And when you get new life, you want God to correct it and give you new life and begin to change how you react to things. James even says, let your, your, your laughter be turned to mourning. The things that we laugh about turned into sadness and the things that we're sad about be turned into rejoicing the 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 preacher solomon said that we are to rejoice at one's death and mourn over a baby being born it's upside down see and sin has turned the whole world upside down and christ turns it right side up where we understand what truth is but see we've been trained for so long that we're still living even in the church and believing the lies of the wicked one. We're listening to the Tower of Babel, which is confusion by mixings, what Babel means. We're listening to the, the liars that are still earning to sway the wicked one instead of listening to the voice of God. Watch what happens. She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. How many times is she going to say this? Are you still that Christian? Are you still merry in your rebellion? Are you still doing that and you don't understand where Christ is at right now? Because if you believe in Jesus, he comes and lives in your heart by the Spirit of God and seals you. And at the same time, as the Son of God, he's set at the right hand of the Father on high. But now he's in your heart, planting his seed so that when you die, the, 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 the grave can open that you're in and you can come out of it. And you can resurrect out of being dead from Adam and begin to enjoy the newness of life. Oh, it's really easy, though, to go quit it. I don't like that. I'm going to put you in this little bitty room, Jesus, and then I'm going to live like I'm dead. And on Sundays, I'll go to church and make some more brick. And on a Monday, I'm going to force some brick. 
Listen, we've been set free for freedom's sake. No matter what you're doing in life, you're free. You're free from the bondage of sin. Well, I just sinned. Well, I did too. But Christ paid for it all. And that doesn't mean you can practice it. It means you ask for forgiveness and ask him to continue to wash you and cleanse you. But the devil wants you to focus on it and say, I'm not, I'm not worthy. The devil wants you to look at your sin and say, I might as well just cry. I might as well just weep. I might as well stay at the tomb. There's no newness in this. And God says, no, I already paid for all that. It's covered in the blood. Run. Run the race to win. Run away from your sin and run to me, Jesus would say. Believe that I already paid it for you. 14, and when she had said this, pay attention, she turned around. I wish it was metanoia, but it's not. It's not the word for repentance. It's a word that just means to be converted. She turned around. It means to, 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 to convert. Let me find it. I got it here somewhere on a piece of paper, and I'll tell you exactly what it means. It means to be in reverse, to convert, to turn again. And she saw the Lord's salvation. Jesus, Iesus, which means Jehovah is salvation. And he's standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Look, Jesus is here right now. Do you know he's here? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he's doing? She's weeping at the grave. She's getting these amazing questions. What are you weeping about? Let's, let's just reason together. Let's talk together. Messengers are speaking to her, and she can stay here. Watch this. But God's going to bring her to truth. He's going to open her eyes. He's going to wake her up. And that's what happens if you tarry with him. That's what happens if you keep searching and keep drawing near. You may be weeping, but he will open your eyes if you draw near and trust him. 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And then he adds something else. Whom are you seeking? Listen, whom are you seeking? That's a good question for us, isn't it? You want a hand up or do you want a hand out? What do you want? What are you seeking today? Are you seeking life or do you like your death? Most people like their death. Jesus said that one guy, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? Why would, why would somebody that's cr born crippled, laying and can't move, can't help himself, can't do nothing, why would Jesus, the God of the universe, say, do you want to be made whole? See, there's a question of your will. He's never going to force His grace upon you. There's a question here. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? Does she want to be a victim? Does she want to stay there crying? Does she want to weep? Is she looking for just a dead body? Or do you believe that He is risen? That, that there's a resurrection? That's what He wants you to believe, that you don't have to die. You can be alive question is is why are you weeping and whom are you seeking and weeping is wailing seeking is is a hebraism once again in the hebrew language it means to worship or to desire 
What do you desire? If it's still the American dream, then then you're probably not going to see Jesus. You're going to see what lines up with what you want to do in your emotions and feelings, what lines up with what you've been taught to do while you were in the tomb. Notice what she supposed again. Earlier, she seen the stone roll back and she supposed they stole the body. Do you know that the, that the Roman government would have loved to produce that body? Do you know that the Jewish nation would have loved to produce the body of Jesus? Do you know that everybody would love to produce the body and go, Hey, here is the body. Where are you at? Are you the body? God's given us by His Spirit an opportunity to be the body of Christ and to be alive because He's not dead. They would have loved to have showed it. But look, she supposed now, she thought now, she reasoned in her mind now him to be the gardener and said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. She's still looking for a dead body. What are you looking for? What are you seeking? That's what Jesus is trying to get to. Are you looking for dead things or are you looking for life? Are you looking to be like Adam? Adam gave you death, but death has been defeated. Homework is read 1 Corinthians 15. Read the chapter 15. I'd love to go teach it, but we'd be here for another five hours. But he does say over in 1549, uh, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we must also bear the image of the heavenly man. So you can't stay in the tomb weeping and keep seeking what you want to seek, death, and bear the image of the heavenly man. What are you seeking? What do your desires want today? To be more like Christ? To understand the gospel? To tell other people about it? Or do you want to just, I just want to get by. I just want to get by. I understand there's places in our flesh where sometimes we're trapped and we're just stuck there and we're like, wait a minute, if I just get out of this spot. But the most important place is to be set free in the spiritual realm first and then then you can deal with the physical realm. The Bible is clear in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, your vertical relationship, and then your horizontal. All these things will be taken care of. God can provide for your needs, but if you ignore and you stay in the pit and you stay in the graveyard weeping and you remain a victim, which is what the world and the devil and your flesh wants to do, it makes you feel good. Well, I got a right to be mad. Well, I'm a victim. Well, they did this. So what? They crucified an innocent man. And he rose from the grave. But the world wants to teach us to be victims and that somebody's to blame. And boy, when I find who it is to blame it on, then I'll be set free. No, you won't. When you find Jesus, you'll be set free. And you'll understand that you're supposed to blame yourself. You're the man. You're the person. You're the biggest enemy. If you believe lies, you're an enemy to yourself. My first Bible study leader, Mike, used to always say that. He'd, he'd get up in the morning, he'd look in the mirror, and he'd say, no, 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 to the mirror. Because, see, you're, you're your biggest enemy. You can choose. God's not going to force himself, but he'll reveal himself perfectly if you draw near to him. It's your choice. What are you seeking? What do you desire? You, tell, you know what? He is a gardener but he's more than a gardener. 
See, he's, he, he's protecting the garden. Your heart is the garden. And the fruit's only going to grow as if you follow him and die and let the seed be burst open in life. But he plants his seed in your soil. We're made out of soil and you grow. So he is a gardener, but she's supposing him only to be a gardener. He's God with us. He's king of kings and the Lord of lords. Gardener means a warden, actually, or a garden keeper. He's so much more. So much more. 16. Look at 16. You guys with me at 16? Very important. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say master, teacher. Listen, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Do you remember hearing the voice of God? Have you ever heard the voice of God? The voice of truth? She instantly, when he decided to open her ears, she heard it. He'd been talking to her. But now he reveals himself to her. Amazing. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. You can imagine her surprise, her excitement. She jumps and grabs him. She yells, Master. I mean, it means teacher. It means Lord. Um, but he says, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Same family. He just opened her eyes, revealed who she is. She sees him in resurrected form. He has risen. This is the resurrection. And it's the same family by marriage. Have you seen him? Now, clinging to him, I, I, I don't know. There's a lot of, uh, 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 of supposition. Um, he has to go into heaven, into the uh, uh, temple in the heavenly sanctuary and give his blood as a sacrifice. And maybe he hasn't done this yet is what most people suppose. If you, if you study the Bible, then you find out that when the, everything was given in the Old Testament to the Levitical priest of everything they're supposed to make, we're told that it's a shadow of heavenly things. And everything is a type of Christ. And so he hasn't ascended is what he's saying. I haven't rose up to the temple and did everything that I need to do. So don't cling to me in that way. There's a lot of other things that could, that could be there. You don't want to cling to the physical body of Jesus. You don't want to cling to the graveyard and the dead. You want to understand that he's going to ascend and set down. But what he does is he ascends. I believe he offers the sacrifice completely, the blood to, to, to the father. There are people that believe the blood is going to be there for eternity in the temple as a type of when the sacrifices are, are um, uh, reinstated in the millennial kingdom. 
I don't know those stains. I'm not worried about those stains. I'm okay with those stains. But what I'm more worried about is what are you, what are you seeking? What do you desire? What are you clinging to in this life? That's the important thing because we want to cling to Jesus and, and what his word says and what he's doing and where he's at right now and what he's called us to do. We are the living stones. We are the body of Christ. We have been set free to follow him. He's given us gifts and talents and abilities. We don't do it on our own. We don't do it in our strength. We don't do it with a degree. I, I don't believe in PhDs. That's permanent head damage. Especially if you don't take it and look into the Word of God and you still believe what man teaches you and how they promote you and put you in a place where you're building their tower of rebellion. And typically it's in with great deception. So be very careful what you're clinging to, what you're holding to, and what you're searching for. Um, so he gonna, he's going to ascend, but look at what he does. He says, to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. That's amazing to me. He puts them back in union. She's back in union with him completely in the same family. Uh, and so are we. That's our standing that we're with him because of our betrothal to him. And then what does she do? She continues to hang out weeping at the gravesite. Verse 18. She continues to hang out there. No. You know, one day you're going to hear, you know, the Bible teaches that we're going to hear his voice and we're going to meet him in the air. The trump will sound and we'll meet him in the air. Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica says, I do not want you to be ignorant, uninformed, if you want me to be polite, concerning those who have fallen asleep. But the trump will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall meet the Lord in the air and thus will be with him always. And we should encourage one another with these words. And we're going to hear, I believe, our own name. We're going to hear our name. That trumpet's going to sound, and we're going to know the sound of that trumpet. We're going to know what he says. We're going to know it's time to go because we're clinging to him now. We're clinging to his truth. We're clinging to what he's called us to do. We're not doing it perfectly, but we're trusting him, and we're coming out of the grave. We're not going to stay in the graveyard. Mary Magdalene, what did she do? Their rebellion, their tower, she came and told the disciples, listen, she could have kept that to herself, but she was equipped now. She's seen the Lord. She sees the resurrection, and she goes and tells them what she's seen. And I believe that if you see Jesus, you're going to tell somebody. If he sets you free, you're going to tell somebody. So he came to the disciples, uh, and, or excuse me, and Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples, his other learners, his other pupils, that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Seen means to stare at, to discern clearly. And in a Hebraism, again, it means to experience. She didn't, she didn't, she didn't just eat some pizza and go, oh, you know what, I think I better go to church. She experienced seeing him standing there. 
although she thought he was a gardener, when he speaks and opens her eyes, he knows, or she knows that it's the Lord Jesus Christ and he is alive, he is risen. And she sees the resurrected Jesus. There's something about understanding that he's not dead. Yeah, I'm going to church, but I don't really understand some of those other things. Listen, do you know he's not dead? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's life himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What an amazing thing. We can stand weeping. You still weeping? Well, but if I would have been born with the right parents. Oh, but if I would have... You know what? I am so grateful to be in 12 years in prison because I'd be dead right now if it wasn't for the grace of God putting this nut up in a prison for 12 years. I'm serious. Everything that's went on that the devil meant for bad, God uses for good if you would just open your eyes and quit weeping and crying like you're a victim and begin to cry out to him. Cling to his truth and quit clinging to this graveyard that we're in. Come out of the tomb. Come out of the pit. The stone has been rolled away so we can see in and then come out so that we can experience and discern and see clearly the life that he's given us. He's forgiven us. It's paid in full. It has no more power over you unless you choose to allow it to have power. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for setting us free. Lord, we know there's a lot of work to be done, that we're, we're rough stones that being chipped away at and fitted together. But we pray that you would give us a desire to be in the word, prayer, and fellowship together to help unwrap grave clothes of one another by how we live and by the fruit of our lives and that we would not be in competition. If somebody gets there first, Lord, we already know that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. But it's only by your grace. Abraham believed by grace and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And now, Lord, we can believe by grace and it's accounted to us for righteousness. Thank you, Lord, that the grave is empty. Thank you that you're coming back to take the chosen home. Pour out your spirit upon us now, Lord. Give us a desire to go and tell someone. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I